Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome once more to the Working Man's Honest Bicycle Program, the podcast for the thinking cyclist. Oh, and uh, that was quite a refreshing sound that has just come across the wire there from from uh, our correspondent in Minneapolis, Matteo. Matteo, what's up? Uh, I just opened an ale. Ah. This is sort of like the Working Man's Honest Bicycle Happy Hour for me today. What's right. up with you, correspondent over in Boston, Gregory? <laughs> I appreciate that you use my full name. It's very formal. <laughs> this is a very formal enterprise. I was thinking of just using, referring to you by your social security number, but I thought that might be a little bit creepy. Well, you know, as we, as we mentioned previously, uh, you know, we, we're a big fan of uh, social security numbers, credit card numbers, um, and, and frankly, any listeners who, who write us in, we'd prefer if you uh, used that sort of identifying information. It just makes it easier to keep track of you. <laughs> Driver's license number, Swiss bank account number, whatever. Um, and let us know if you want in on a brand new pyramid scheme that we're starting. You can get in pretty close to the top. Not at the top, but pretty close to it. I mean, let's be honest. We're at the top. We're at the top. I mean, that's how a pyramid scheme works. Someone's got to be there. And Someone's you can't really be there. there unless you start your own. Right, exactly, exactly. It's, you know, it's entrepreneurial. And that's <laughs> pretty much more, that's, uh, that's us. So, Greg. Yeah, what's up? Uh, hashtag Cyclocross is here. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that? Uh, I feel really good about that. I'm super duper excited about it, actually. I think it's great. I love cyclocross. Yeah, and you've been racing it. Uh, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. I've only done I've only done uh, one weekend of racing since we last discussed it. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's it's kind of officially started here in New England. We've we've had our first two races out of the way, and we're kind of starting the steamroller of craziness. <laughs> That is going to take us all the way into. Uh, Does um, that take you all the way to the dump truck of awesome? Is that are those two related? Well, the I think that the steamroller work might vehicle come of adjectives after the dump truck of awesome okay. and pack it down into a smooth, delicious asphalt of uh, greatness <laughs> or something. So I, is uh, a, a little bit uh, <laughs> has no relationship whatsoever to bikes, which is means we're doing it all wrong because this is a cycling podcast. So our analogies are supposed to be things about being in the draft or like wheels or or taking a pull or or whatever. Yeah, I can't help but notice that uh, as a cycling podcast, we weren't extended a specific personal invitation to interbike this week. Oh, where, as you know, Cross Vegas is to be held as the first cyclocross World Cup in my personal homeland, the United States of America. Yes, that's true. That's uh, or, or is this like a topic that we're going to have? I was actually talking to someone on. Uh, this is a few weeks ago. One of my my team members who travels fairly regularly for work was saying that. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. I was thinking about. I might. Uh, I need to I need to go ahead and register for that. You know, I might go out there for work. I could just register for Cross Vegas, and we were like, "Uh, bro, <laughs> 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 sit down." I think we we've got some bad news for you, <laughs> vis a vis your participation. <laughs> and then after that, I'm gonna be in Richmond, so I might as well register for the World Championships. 
Yeah. To be to be clear, my this teammate is not one of uh, the uh, American uh, riders selected for the World Cup in Las Vegas, <laughs> which is, of course, how you need to get into it. You need to be selected for your by your national uh, association. So yeah, there's, there's a World yes. Cup in Cross. Well, in Las Vegas, it's, it's Cross Vegas, which has been around for what since 2007. So you know, six, seven years. Eight years, I don't know, something like that. And now it's the first World Cup in North America. So I, I guess the question that you were leading into, Maddie, is how do we feel about that? Is that? Uh, yeah. Oh, well, are you excited about Cross Vegas? Here, yeah, so here are a bunch of questions. Are you excited about Cross Vegas? Are you excited about the pro cyclocross season kicking off? Do you think that it's awesome to have a single World Cup here in the United States, given the situation where there was going to be a Montreal World Cup and then it like imploded and didn't happen? And what would really be the best race in the United States to show off on an international stage like the World Cup? Hmm. Oh, that's a lot of questions. I didn't even write those down beforehand. I just came up with them off the dome. Oh, wow. Well, that's very impressive because there's no way I'm going to remember them. But uh, I would yeah, say take them as, as they come. Vegas, yeah, I'll, I'll take them as they come. So, you know, Cross Vegas um, is cool and all. Um, it's a spectacle. Um, it's It can be, I think, underappreciated. It's, it's easily underappreciated as and, and kind of uh, sniffed at as a grass crit. Um, and it's kind of not exactly. Um, but, and also everyone says that about any race that they don't like. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um I will say it is not it is not the cyclocross race that I get most excited about. Um, but that said, as a World Cup, I think it's I think it's fabulous. I mean, I'm I'm super excited the World Cup is coming. Um, Cross Vegas does make sense. It's an established and successful um, professional event. Um, it has already been pulling in the some of the biggest names in. Uh, cyclocross from Europe for the past couple years. I mean, Lars Vanderhaar has won it. Sven Ness has won it. Um, it's a big deal. It's a big deal race. And I think the fact that it's done in conjunction with Interbike is, is such a thing in its favor. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I mean, it guarantees an audience. It guarantees a budget to bring in guys like Lars and Sven. Yeah. Yeah, so so I'm I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, I will watch it if I can. Uh, I haven't quite figured out how that works because I think Universal Sports is actually planning to broadcast it, which means it might be tricky to um, get, say, a live stream on the internet. Uh, I'm sure or some enterprising individual will share some means uh, to do that, but we don't have <laughs> inside scoop <laughs> on how to make that happen. Um, but yeah, I think it's I think it's really great uh, to bring it here and and just for all the. You know, there have been so many people talking about this and what it means, and I don't really feel super equipped to do the kind of high-level analysis of, you know, in capital letters, what this means for American cyclocross. <laughs> think peace. <laughs> right, think peace. Hashtag think peace. Hashtag <laughs> long read. Um, <laughs> so, so I don't feel equipped to do that, but I, I think it's rad. I think it's going to be uh, an awesome race because anytime you get the best cross racers together on you know especially on a course like cross vegas that is a fast fast track um yeah it's exciting it, as for other races in the u.s i think that um you know i think there are some people and and i i think that 
we in New England could maybe feel a little bit bent out of shape uh, and, and kind of say, oh, well, you know, it should have been um, like the Grand Prix at Gloucester or uh, Providence, which people were talking about making um, a World Cup. Something now, can I, can, I just, can I just interject here about your yeah. pronunciation of Gloucester? Uh, what about it? Gloucester. I, I am told is the correct pronunciation. I just think you're a little bit heavy on the R at the end of it. Uh, well, I am I am one of those people who has a Boston accent, but it is not non-rhotic. So I pronounce <laughs> my, my, my R's are present and accounted for. <laughs> it, is, it is Gloucester. It is not Gloucester. It is, it is most not, certainly not. It is most certainly not. Um... Right, train of thought. Uh, yeah, so sorry, I, I, I gotten, interrupted your train of thought. Yeah, I, it's sure. It's, uh, I, I think that there are people who've who've gotten kind of I don't know, I, maybe not. I, I haven't seen like lots of pieces, you know, think pieces on on that. But uh, there's a case to be made that one of these, you know, New England races or whatever that's been around for a million years would be a more appropriate choice. But uh, I'm not so sure about that. I think that it would be difficult or or. Not that it couldn't be done, but packing the additional um, craziness of a World Cup and international media and all that into tiny little stage four park in Gloucester would probably be logistically extremely challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, not to mention, um, you know, finding hotel rooms for everyone. Uh, so there's that. I mean, yes, Boston is probably where people would stay, but uh, Boston relative to its size, I don't, I'm not sure how many hotel rooms it really has. Uh, and and then there's just it, Providence. Um, I I would say this is just my opinion. Uh, I don't think has the kind of organizational heft to really pull it off appropriately. Um, I just think there's so many things that align in favor uh, for Cross Vegas to make it like it's it's got the organizational punch like it's a very well organized very professionally run event mm-hmm. um, they have their crap together um, the bike industry is kind of all in that place uh, at the same time um, there's tons of cheap hotel rooms uh, it's easy to get flights it just for a first time event it really does make a lot of sense yeah it's got a lot of things going for it yeah so, I think I think one of the things that you know I keep chewing over is you know some of the comments that some of the euros made uh, for for maybe like four or five years now a handful of European riders both men and women have started their season in the United States kind of looking for some UCI points that might guarantee them uh, a higher uh, call up when the World Cups roll around or maybe just looking for some wins maybe just having kind of fun in the twilight of their career. Um, so like, you know, Bart Wellens, Francis Moray, uh, riders of, you know, absolutely noteworthy stature. Uh, I think Erwin Verveken. Erwin Verveken? Um, really? Back, the, back a few years ago. Well, uh, boy, there was some old hand. Maybe it was Christian Hula. Christian uh Christian, yeah, Christian uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's what I'm Christian who? Not, um, maybe Erwin Verbeck. Yeah, but one of the things that I, I remember some of them commenting on was like, oh, the United States is really big and traveling from like Cross Vegas to the Trek Cup in Wisconsin is like 
not just a couple hours drive in my camper that I'm used to no. when I like. You know, I mean, all the all this stuff that's in like Belgium and the Netherlands, it, it, it's all like forty five minutes away from each other. You know, and then people have to like occasionally travel to like Roubaix, which is like another forty five minutes away. You know, well, and, you know, and back there there has been a World Cup in Rome, and there was one in Spain, but that was kind of those were that's. That's still not that bad. Yeah, and there's one in Pil- like the the thing is is like you know there's one in Pilsen and that's yeah that's I don't know like I, I remember I did some comparison when I when I wrote uh, a piece for uh, Balint Hamvas's cyclocross photo book but just like the dis- the travel distances make the logistical thing for riders really difficult and so yeah. you know that's one of the barriers to having like multiple multiple international level events is that no one wants to come over here for one and if people want to come over here for like two or three they're still pretty far away from each other yeah it'd be it would be very like scheduling wise you know if you wanted to stick around a little longer it it might be tempting to look at the calendar and say oh okay i can do cross vegas you know on september 16th and then uh you know two and a half weeks later or whatever or a week and a half later something like that um, we have a C1 uh, up in Gloucester, but as it turns out, Gloucester, Massachusetts is an extremely long way from Las Vegas. <laughs> Just in case yeah. people aren't clear on that, it's it's I think over two thousand miles, so it's a long way. It's like that's like bigger than Europe. Yeah, well, Western Europe anyway. Well, yeah, I mean, you or know. maybe even all of it. It's it's big. Depending on what constitutes Europe these days, which researchers are still coming to conclusions And actually, about. speaking of, because you, you asked about what I thought about this World Cup in, in Montreal, I guess I do have thoughts on, on scheduling an event without the um, <laughs> having essentially it guaranteed that it would go forward. But the schedule that they had proposed was crazy because it was this World Cup in, in Montreal that was going to be on September 19th, so three days later Oof. on the Saturday. Oof, I think I, that, I, I forgot about that. Yeah, it was, it was not, you know, a week later. It was not a week and a half later. It was three days later. So you'd have to get all these riders and all their stuff, um, you know, onto a plane, um, fly in two time zones uh, northeast. The time zones are just the east, but you know what I mean. Uh, and then go through, you know checking out the course and scouting and kind of getting settled in, in Montreal and, and trying to sort all that, it would have been nuts. It would have been really, really rough. Yeah. So there's there's kind of, I don't know, I don't want to say it's a blessing in disguise because I think it's pretty embarrassing for both the Montreal organizers and for the UCI, but it was, it was just, I don't know, it was not a, it, it was not a realistic schedule for at least the sanity of the teams and riders. It was going to be a problem for some people. Yeah. So, you know, and it's, it's, it's difficult enough. I mean, one of the complaints that we have now with cross Vegas is that it's so early that it's actually, um, there's a little bit of a conflict with road worlds in Richmond. Um, there would be a conflict with road worlds, no matter where road worlds was, but you know, there's that additional irony of, you know, anyone who might have been uh, interested in doing both has to pick. Uh, well, is there anybody who would be in that situation? Uh, Logan Owen is okay. actually focusing on road road worlds instead of doing Cross Vegas. He and 
he has had a ridiculously good road season. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's been racing, you know, the top-level events in the United States, which, like, is, you know, compared to the international scene, B or C level. Sure. But, you know, like, some of the, some of the you know, riders from, from Europe and elsewhere kind of consider a bunch of the races in North America to be vacation races. Yeah. That said, they do attract high-level talent, mm-hmm. and Logan Owen has been acquitting himself well. I think he, he, won, he won a stage of Utah. Yes, he won a stage in Utah. That's I think I remember that he got, like, a top 10 in California, which is a big deal. He's been very, very impressive on the road. And, and we knew at an international level he's, he's ridden well in the U23 ranks on the road. He's not just a cyclocross racer for sure. Uh, he's very, very talented. So he's, he's on the U23. I, I am, like, keeping my eye on him. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's hope that he uh, doesn't leave Cross behind. Mm-hmm. But, Indeed. But that's a whole other whole other topic. So, yeah, overall, I feel really positive about, just to, I, I guess, <laughs> wrap that up. I feel really good about Cross Vegas. I'm, exci- I'm excited to see, yeah, how the, how the race is going to go down, too. And yeah. I think, I think that, you know, this World Cup that we've got tomorrow at Cross Vegas is kind of an indication that cyclocross is changing, as it has been, and as it always will. Absolutely. And the other way that I see that is, as everyone's riding their fancy new bikes this year, uh, one-buy stuff is just all over the place. And, you know, not only are disc brakes extremely popular, but... Uh, SRAM's hydraulic disc brake setup is really kind of gaining gaining a pretty big foothold. Yeah, well, and, and so is Shimano's. Um, and we're even mm-hmm. beginning to see a little bit of uh, ground being gained. Not, you know, not in the nearly the same extent, but, but tubeless tires are actually maybe looking like they might be having a moment this season. We'll see. But, but you're thinking about but, but you're saying there's a there's a real toehold for the the, the one by groups and the the hydraulic brakes yeah yeah yeah, yeah so, i think that's just uh i any thoughts on that i got some thoughts on that i guess when so first of all there's the crack that you know sram is pushing one by because their front shifting isn't very good yeah and i thought that was kind of funny until i realized that like I have SRAM Force on my road bike, and the front shifting is excellent. Yep, I have I have uh, SRAM Rival, the eleven speed version, on my road bike, and and same. I've actually been completely the the front shifting is noticeably improved from the ten speed version. Yeah, and I and I do think it's possible to set stuff up wrong, and maybe SRAM is a little bit less tolerant of uh, installation error than sure. some other stuff, but like. I don't really have a problem with SRAM's front shifting. Even the noise that it makes. Whatever. Yeah. Even if it sounds like my shifter's breaking. I don't really care. Oh, does yours also go like... No, well, it's the crack on downshifting. Oh, the crack on downshifting. I think it's... I think I have a cable thing. I think I'm using Shimano cables, and I think they make funny sounds, is what I've determined. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's, it's terrible. But anyway, so yeah, one by... So one by is huge now and i i it's huge it's huge obviously we were waiting for it is is sort of the other thing that i I really need to interject because you know everyone experimented with some kind of a one by thing before sram started doing oh yeah sort of a comprehensive like this is one of those things that is not it's it's interesting actually that that 
Shimano hasn't done anything with it because there. This is one of the things there was obvious interest mm-hmm. from people, um, and we could talk about why. I guess one um, buy is an idea that has been around for a while in cross, and and now with the actual dedicated one by groups, it, it seems to actually work really well. Like like really well. Like re- uh, it it even works really well if you like cobble together a workaround. But like yeah. my, my one by setup is doesn't have the clutch rear derailleur. It just has an off brand narrow wide chainring. Absolutely, yes, exactly. That's what a lot of people are doing. Is just oh, yeah. To be clear to anyone who isn't who who isn't sure, you know, if you've been hearing this term narrow wide chainring being tossed around, uh, essentially, if you excuse me, if you look at your chain and the gaps uh, where the teeth go into the chain, some of them are wider and some of them are narrower. <laughs> right so, so you've got the outer plates and you've got the inner plates yeah yeah exactly and a narrow wide chain ring is just you have to put the chain on it and correctly oriented so that the narrow teeth go to the narrow openings and the wide teeth go to the wide openings and that gives you much better chain retention it, it prevents the chain from bouncing around on the yeah. chain ring and yeah I, you know i've seen i've seen people ride without a narrow wide chain ring with a clutch derailleur and they get they get drop chains all the time and I've ridden with a narrow wide chainring and without a clutch rear derailleur, and I've dropped a chain like once in a year and a half. Yeah, and that seems to be the experience of a lot of people I know is that the chain just does not come off. So, so that's been very successful. So, Maddie, I'm, I'm curious. So, I'm still running two by. Mm-hmm. Um, why have you gone to a one by setup? Oh, because I thought it looked cool. Oh, okay. Well, moving on then. <laughs> I, I think I, you know, well, I can elaborate since that's what we're here for, right? That's what we're here for. Um, I thought that it, it, I would have enough gear combinations. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought that I could get high enough and low enough. And I don't know, I kind of, I was intrigued by the idea and I thought it would look cool. And I like the idea of a slightly simplified cross bike. The other thing is that, you know, if, if I'm racing a cross season... When when you get some bad weather, for me, like the first thing that goes downhill is front shifting. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's because like on my cross bike, I have a I have a pulley to that the cable is routed around, and that is just sort of like an extra kink in the line, so to speak. Sure. But you hit you know a couple rainy days of training or a muddy race. And then you just basically need to overhaul your whole bike because your front shifting just won't work. That's my experience. I'm saying you, but I mean me. Right. Well, my, my front shifting, that's actually funny. Last year, I was actually on Shimano, like older mm-hmm. Shimano, and uh, I rode my bike in the winter and then ignored it for a while. And, and there was a little while there where I was uh, downshifting the front by unclipping and tapping the derailleur. With yeah. the <laughs> <laughs> but that's a little bit different. Excellent. So when I think about that, I... I, I it's interesting that it has so much appeal and um people talk a lot about like you simplicity like mechanical simplicity and and less to go wrong and a little bit about weight um and and those things seem true but you know the the honestly the reason i think that it has so much appeal to people is i'm going to use some fancy words here but i think that racing with two chain rings in cyclocross kind of imposes this additional cognitive workload that is unpleasant 
Like, there's, am I better off in my other chain ring right now? Right. Should I shift? Should I not shift? And there's just too much to think about rather than just up, down. And you have a sufficiently small, because you're shifting a lot in cross, typically, because uh, the terrain changes gradient very rapidly. Like, you know, you could be going down a steep chute one second and up a really steep climb the other, or vice versa. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's, it's just like an additional thing to think about that I think, uh, is ultimately unnecessary like i know that a lot of times in a lot of races i have stuck my i've pretty much put it in one chain ring just chosen a chain ring at the start of a race and left it there and mm, so many bikes are sold so many cross bikes are sold with a 46 36 as their chain ring combination which i think is awful for cross the 46 is too big for most people and the jump to a 36 is too big for almost everybody yeah, I, I'm running 4638 as previously discussed, and that works pretty well. For oh me. man, did we previously discuss this? Have I? I've already. We haven't up a discussed this in detail. This? I only mentioned my setup okay. when I was talking about doing Vermont Overland. Okay. Okay. Um, I have very strong feelings about the chain rings that come stock on most cyclocross bikes. <laughs> well, it's it's true that 46 is. I I agree it's on the big side because I use a 12 to 30 cassette. I find that okay. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. But when I was using even like a twelve twenty six, it was it was way too much. Yeah, uh, that I essentially never used that big ring. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas I, I can actually do, depending on the course, I can actually do an entire race in that big ring. Yeah, when I did, when I had a double, I I used a forty four thirty eight, and that was fine. But I think what I would really like out of a double is a forty two thirty six. So forty two could be almost everything. You have enough range in your cassette, and you can get up some tricky little kickers but you'd have that 36 kind of as a as a as a bailout sure but then of course your gap between these these rings is still it's so small at this point that you come back to the question is hey you know could i just get away with one chain ring in front? yeah and then the question is how do you keep your chain from bouncing off and that's like i think for a lot of people in sort of the pre one by or who either aren't doing a one by system or who are uh, still using kind of pre-dedicated one-by parts that the front derailleur essentially serves the purpose of keeping your chain on or allowing you to pedal it back on if it does drop. Yes. And not much else. So to me, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, yeah, I mean, certainly among the American pros, uh, I mean, yeah, there's a sponsorship thing there, but people can do what they want to some extent and it's almost universal at this yeah. point yeah i mean you know sram is selling two by hydro cross group sets but a lot of people are choosing their one buys yeah and i'm sure that you know plenty of people have you know two by stuff as a backup for certain very hilly races what i should have done when i was at jingle cross last year jingle cross is three days of uci racing in iowa city which is in iowa state um hmm. mm-hmm yeah, it makes sense. Might even be in Iowa County. Who knows? Um, <laughs> but uh, the main feature of Jingle Cross is a big freaking hill. And I should have taken a look at whether people were using kind of one by or two by that day. But I, I think I still saw a lot of one. I'm talking about pros who, you know, would have the choice of, sure. you know, either which bike or, hey, mechanic buddy friend who I pay, why don't you just go ahead and put a different shifter on? Yeah. <laughs> Right. Well, you know, I, I think a lot of people are still going to be um, uh, okay because 
when when you get to I don't know. I guess there are hills in cyclocross that are probably long enough that you're going to want something bigger. But a lot of people with a 42 chain ring or a 40 or even a 38 and like a 12 to 28 or to 32 or whatever cassette are probably going to be okay. Yeah. Most of yeah. the time. And I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people were still using the, the one buys, if I recall, and were, were riding that beast of a hill, which yeah. is steep and long. I would actually consider making the switch, but I mean, my my main issue is that I I want my crossbite to be able to do other things, and I guess I could just seasonally kind of switch it out. Yeah, um, but you know, I always thought that I would do that. Like I would seasonally, you know, have my crossbite go from being geared to being a single speed or whatever. And uh, <laughs> uh, you know, who's got the time? <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Uh, and you know, uh, you're just like getting done with cables and bar tape and uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of wondering how long my white bar tape is going to be satisfactory. Yeah, minutes. <laughs> it's still, it's a little, it's, you know, it's got a little bit of uh, brown on it now from the, from dust. Nice, uh, nice. But, yeah, you know, it's all right. All right, so that's one buy. So I, I'd say that, what, thumbs up from both of us on one buy? Yeah, thumbs up on one buy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I And I, and, and I did, I want to be clear, I, I don't think on this show, but I have been expressed skepticism of it in the past hmm. um, but with the with the narrow wide chain rings and the clutch derailleurs um i've come around i think it seems like the real deal nice so, yeah yeah okay uh so you also mentioned hydraulic mm-hmm. brakes yeah so how about how about that those seem to be steadily making inroads they do uh I don't really have feelings about them, to hmm. be honest. I rode a bicycle with one of them for a few moments the other day. Yeah. And they seemed to bring the bicycle to a stop. No, that's, that's it was really just pedaling the bike, not really like riding it. So, you know. Um, yeah, I don't really have... You know, you know what I do have feelings on is like when... Gosh, was it like a year and a half ago? I don't think it was last year. It might have been two years ago um, when there were a bunch of riders who were on SRAM. And in the United States, there was some pro race, maybe in Colorado, where the temperature, or somewhere where the temperature was like 10 below zero. Oh, that was Bend. It was in Bend. Okay. So the temperature was ridiculously cold. And some like seals failed on some SRAM hydraulic units. And... SRAM had to like re-engineer stuff because well, they were like, like oh. it turned out to be exacerbated by the cold, but it was an existing problem with the design. Oh, uh, well, I thought it was basically revealed by the cold. Uh, they had other they had other issues. The the cold did have uh, more cases show up. Mm-hmm. But that was when okay. SRAM issued the voluntary recall of all of their uh, hydraulic components at that point. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Are you saying that your confidence is uh, not there? Or... No, I was just gonna say, and I I feel like I'm. This is the second time that I'm like defending SRAM from naysayers, but sometimes I think that people naysay SRAM like really hard, and they point to like the front shifting and this recall issue, mm-hmm. yeah. and the thing where for like three or four or five years rival shifters used to break all the time. Yes, but. <laughs> But it's fine. Overall, I haven't had. I've I've used SRAM on and off for 
a number of years and really not had any problems it, mm-hmm. to, to mention. I mean, you know, anecdote is not data, but but there were a few high-profile incidents for sure. I mean, so as far as my take on hydraulic brakes, um, mm-hmm. I so you you try a SRAM setup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've I spent just a few minutes, um, like literally just a couple minutes, and, and nothing like serious. So you know, not like doing hard braking or anything or race level work, but trying out the Shimano hydraulic brakes. Um, mm-hmm. They feel good. Uh, I have to say, they feel really good. And personally, um, I have a lot of confidence in that. I, I have a lot of confidence in these hydraulic brake systems. I feel good about them. I feel like they've been well tested. I think it's unfortunately that they're unfortunately i think it's unfortunate that there was um this design problem or in fact it was it was almost uh uh this is an element of design but uh, essentially there was a problem with the ability of manufacturing to produce a part that would work with that design does that make sense uh, are you talking? Are we talking about SRAM still? Yeah, we're talking about SRAM still. Sorry, mm-hmm. um, and that sucks, uh, and that's embarrassing, and it's hard to account for these things. Um, but these, there's a lot of scaremongering out there on the bicycle internets about hydraulic disc brakes on your road bike and how the fluid is going to boil, um, and these things are being tested to just the nth degree. You know, this is not, it's not as though SRAM and Shimano are out there unaware of the issue of, of boiling points for brake fluid. Yeah, like en- engineers are meticulous. Yeah, like I promise you, I promise you, random guy on the internet, SRAM and Shimano's engineers are smarter than you are. <laughs> like they definitely are. They're definitely thinking about these things. And that doesn't mean that there aren't problems. But, you know, just think about cars. Cars have the exact same possible failure mode in their brake systems because they're hydraulic, all right? Like, it can and does happen that you'll have brake failure due to boiling hydraulic fluid. Um, you know, that's a risk. How often does it happen? Al- almost never because engineers design the crap out of these things to deal with... <laughs> To deal with these issues of, of heat dissipation, yeah, uh, and and heat dissipation and brake fade, you know, it's, it's people people like to, I don't know, it, it, it's as though people are pretending that brake fade and, and and heat are issues that just weren't around until disc brakes came along, until hydraulic <laughs> disc brakes showed up on the scene, and that is not true. Um, heat related brake fade is a huge problem uh, and has been for years. Uh, and and it's pretty severe on rims when that rim is also you know responsible for holding your tire in place, uh, whether it be a clincher tire being held on by air pressure or a tubular tire being held on by glue. You know I've seen people say make outrageous claims about the supposed benefits of say tubular rims that that tubular rims dissipate heat better because there are more pathways for the the heat to go. That's not true. <laughs> That's not true. Uh, and and. You know, in cyclocross, this is less of an issue, but of course, carbon fiber is really taking off in rims on the road, and uh, that's a problem because carbon fiber is an insulator. Uh, if you're using aluminum, aluminum the, is, is an excellent conductor. The entire rim is a cooling 
device basically uh with, with carbon fiber rooms you have to design the pads to be the cooling device uh that is a small amount of surface area interesting so, yeah so so I, I mean sorry i'm getting off into the weeds of the technical details <laughs> the the point is this stuff is probably going to work and for cyclocross you're probably okay uh i actually am as as soon as i feel like boy i don't want to sound like i'm like in a big hurry to ditch my rim brakes Mm-hmm. But I don't want to invest more money for cyclocross anyway into a bicycle that is um, a rim brake bike. Mm-hmm. That's my take. I think you're not uh, going to buy another set of rim brake wheels. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Because I just don't. I, I just don't see. Aside from, I'm convinced that the brakes are better, and and I think that's worth something to me. Um, and it's just you know that's where it's going, and I, I kind of. I don't feel like throwing my money into that hole anymore. Yeah. And I've talked to a few people who are like, yeah, you know, uh, my next road bike, I'm going to wait to buy it until I figure out, you know, whether or not discs on the road are like going to stabilize. Right. Yeah. And that's a different question. Uh, I, I'm still pretty, I would be, I'm very bullish about road discs. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would say, you know, not necessarily buy now or anything like that, and I'm not buying now. But watch this space because um, it, I'm, I'd say I'm 99.999% sure that it's going to happen and it's going to stick, and people are going to love it. Interesting. So interesting. And and you know, if if you don't like it, that's fine. But um, uh, I don't know the relationship to technology in this sport is so weird i feel like people get kind of really wrapped around the axle about you know what is quote unquote necessary technology and 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 what do we need and and what's appropriate um and and look technological development is never has never and will never be driven by the question of what is necessary (laughs) right it's it it makes markets it doesn't respond to existing ones yeah well it makes markets and it's also just a matter of if there's a way to make things better in in some way like and and people are going to argue that there are ways in which disc brakes are not better they are better at being brakes there's no question about that (laughs) you know and there might be other downsides to them but you know if there's this opportunity to improve this particular part of, of a bicycle or of anything uh, chances are that's the road that we're going to go down. And if there's kind of disruptive effects as far as, um, well, you know, it's a little bit worse aerodynamically or whatever, people are going to deal with that. Uh, and it's just going to happen. And um, yeah, and I don't know. It's just, I don't see much point in getting angry about the progression of technology. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's like, instead, it's going to happen because that's what people do. That's what humans do. And all we can do is adapt and if there are problems figure out how to adapt and solve those problems i don't know that's that's maybe a little philosophical but i'm down with that yeah so so yeah i and and, but but cyclocross i wholeheartedly endorse disc brakes um i think it's pretty great uh mud clearance will be helped um i'm looking forward to not dealing with having to choose between either like brake chatter or a mini v <laughs> on the front of my bike things like that i'll tell you a story someday about how i solved that problem what brake chatter uh-huh 
Well, it's a mini V, right? No. No. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I, I, in this case, it actually is. I finally found some corroborating evidence that it isn't just me being crazy. My bicycle, my cross, my cross bike, to be clear, is a Richie Swiss cross. It's beautiful. I love it. Mm-hmm. It handles so nice. It's so pretty to look at. I adore it. It's a lovely it. bike. It is a lovely, lovely bike. It is probably the, I'm just going to go ahead and say, it is the prettiest, like best looking, most beautiful production <laughs> cyclocross bike out there. <laughs> I, I would have a hard time arguing with you on that one. Yeah, there's a good case to be made for that. But, um, <laughs> but it has her- horrendous, horrendous fork shutter from brakes and and you know what that is that's just a steel bike with a straight steer well but the fork is carbon fiber but they they tuned they tuned the fork to be nice and compliant and yeah they 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 certainly weren't gonna um ugly up the beautiful lines of their bike by putting um a cable stop on the fork right so (laughs) the result is terrible terrible brake chatter yeah yeah. Such that I, I even if I brake hard enough with a mini V, I get brake chatter. Yep, I've used that, the yeah. the Richie WCS Pro. Yeah, they're the same fork. Yeah. Yep, same experience. However, I have recently been riding an aluminum cyclocross bike with an oversized lower race on the fork, okay. and try as I might, try as I might. I can't get it to chatter. Hmm. Which which bike is this? I picked up a, out of curiosity, more or less, a blue Norcross AL, okay. uh, which isn't manufactured anymore. Yeah. And I, I basically wanted... Uh, pour one out for blue. Pour, pour one out for blue. I basically wanted like a, the cyclocross version of a crit bike. Yeah, okay. And it's pretty cool. It works. Well, I think that I've said... I've said mean things about uh, oversized lower headset bearings and tapered forks on cross bikes, but uh, maybe I'm wrong. It it does the trick. <laughs> of course, you know what else does the trick? Disc brakes. <laughs> Disc brakes also do the trick. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Alrighty then. So um, we're we're cruising along pretty good. Um, the last thing on our tech list, since this seems to be a cyclocross tech heavy show. Um, is tubeless tire technology do you have any opinions on tubeless tires i have heard that sometimes they burp and people lose air and that they're frustrating to set up yeah so uh, it's it's been difficult for a long time um and actually i discussed this on a previous episode with our technical correspondent uh ian mm-hmm. uh, and and he kind of outlined the the basic reasons that tubeless has been challenging for cyclocross which is that so on a mountain bike you have low pressure but you have high volume that means you've got lots of force keeping that tire uh seated right on a road bike you've got low volume but you've got very high pressure um so that helps keep that tire in place again in cyclocross you have low volume and you have low low pressure uh and that is a difficult scenario uh when you have a tire that is being held on purely by by pressure uh, from the air in the tire. So nonetheless, people have kept working with this, and um, th- there have been a few people. I'll try and find uh, the links to share this with everyone. 
so they'll be in the show notes. So if you go to the the page for the show, which is whbp, sorry, it's standarddouble.com slash whbp slash 42 for this episode, <laughs> I believe. Uh, and, and you can find some links. And that will include both a little missive by um, Dan Timmerman, uh, formerly of the Richard Sachs cyclocross team and now of Stan's No Tubes. And also, I think, a couple posts from uh, November Cycles, uh, who've been working actually with my teammate, my good pal down the street, uh, Mike Wassell, uh, trying out various combinations of tubeless tires on cross rims. And uh, it's been, and taking them over, it should be said, some crazy, crazy terrain. Uh, we went on a ride a, a couple months ago in the Blue Hills here in, in, in Milton, Massachusetts, just kind of uh, 10 minutes, 10, 15 minute ride uh, away from where I live and rode over just ridiculous you know, axe head rocks and big drops and he was not able to get these things to burp. So with the right choice of tire um, and the right choice of rim, it seems to work pretty well. So that's something that is, is now worth looking into and, and it, I would I would check um, kind of what people are saying uh, you, d- you do need, need to use tubeless rims you do need to use tubeless specific tires or you're going to be uh, generally or you're going to be sad mm-hmm. um, but yeah seems to be a thing yeah uh, and I, I think I was just wary of like so many years of hearing people say oh yeah tubeless is coming and it's going to be great and all of the first hand experience was like yeah, wow, that was a huge pain in the ass and really disappointing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and I think that you're you're going to want to pay attention to what people are using in terms of tires and and whatnot. And as a general rule, you know, people a lot of what's been going on though is that people have been really trying to make it work with tires that are not designed to be tubeless. Mm-hmm. Um. I would say that's not a great idea. Well, that's particularly tricky for cross where, you know, you want to have as much choice in tire selection as you can get away with. Yeah, absolutely. And if absolutely. you choose if you choose tubeless and you're like, oh, okay, like I can choose like these four tires or whatever. I'm sure there are more than four, but you know, whatever. Yeah, there are more than four and, and they're, they're going to be more and more. Um, hopefully the sooner the better. You know, it, yeah. it's, it's funny because there are a lot of major... Um, manufacturers that aren't on board with tubeless yet or some of the ones that are um are ones that don't have the best (laughs) reputation for their (laughs) tires so uh you know if you like continental you're not going to get a continental tubeless tire um though frankly in cyclocross that doesn't matter because their cyclocross tires are garbage um (laughs) (laughs) such as they are they only do clinchers um michelin uh pretty similar though people have had surprisingly good luck with some of their tires they don't make tools ready tires and there are better um tires out there you know specialized has actual tubeless tires but um while they are mud tire the terra is considered pretty good um i've heard less positive things about the um their all conditions tire the the tracer and their Mm -hmm. file tread equivalent the, the trigger that they're not super great uh, because they're essentially downsized mountain bike treads, so on and so forth. Um, but they're out there, and hopefully, and, and then people will try things like uh, people are really, really into the Clement tires right now. Yes. Because 
they're combining so on the tubular side just plain interesting technology where they have tubeless um, tubulars uh, which is cool uh, that are super easy to glue up and, and also modern tread design um, that works really well um, but people are trying to go tubeless for example because their treads are so good people try to go tubeless with their tires and it does not work mm. once not they surprised. go tubeless once they go they have supposedly a tubeless version of I think it's the PDX coming out um, maybe October or November um, it's either that or the MXP I don't remember which and and so once they start coming out with their tire models and actual tubeless versions, I would say that's going to be pretty pretty great. But until then, don't don't try it. <laughs> they, <laughs> no they, seat, at home. they seat well at first. They'll fool you. The, from what I hear, they seat well at first, um, but then the bead stretches, mm-hmm. uh, and and then you end up very very sad <laughs> when you burp <laughs> like in a hard corner in a race. Uh huh. So yeah, um, I don't know. A lot of tech. Cyclocross is changing. I don't know. Any final thoughts? Like, are you worried about this causing? I don't know. Changes in the sport itself. You know, this is actually the subject of like one of our first podcasts. Yeah, which is why I want to bring it back around to that. I'm not worried. I'm not worried. You know, there's. I, I'm from New York City, more or less, and there's something uh-huh. that people say about New York City, which is that. Uh, it'll be a great city if they ever finish making it. Hmm. And the point of that is that everything changes, and nostalgia is crap. Um, everyone, everyone has like a, a solid idea of what something was like when they had their formative experience with it, and they think that that's what it was always supposed to be. But cyclocross, like anything else, is changing, and I don't think it's going to turn into mountain bike racing. Yeah, I just think it's going to, you know, the same way that road racing has changed. Um, athletes have changed, bikes have changed, and courses have changed. Yeah, and, and the course changes certainly, you know, in road racing don't seem to have been driven too much by the technology, and it's it's kind of a matter of taste and trends, and you know, selling TV time and <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm not worried about it either. Um, you know, if anything, I'd say overall uh, at the international level, from what I can tell, I haven't been following cross for 20 years. Seems as though courses have just been getting harder. Period. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and 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 that if anything, maybe the bikes are better reflecting that now than they did in the past. Right. I mean, and hey, you, you know, the old heads. Now. The old heads talking about. Yeah, the old head's talking about riding 28mm Griffos at 50 PSI. 60, 70 PSI, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a grass crit for you. Oh, that sounds so painful. <laughs> that, just, that just sounds like a lot of pouncing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, you know, and if you, you, can, you can look up old footage from, like, the, you know... Because really, mud treads only started to appear in what the mid two thousands. Yeah. Uh, so you know you can look up early two thousand nineteen nineties cross races uh, when it's uh, you know a muddy day and just uh, you know just imagine yakety sax playing as you watch these guys <laughs> going down the hill, just completely unable to steer. That's pretty accurate. <laughs> Good stuff. 
Oh, I boy, that's um, we've gone long, so maybe that's about that's that's about it. Yeah, that's very. Tech that's heavy. about it. Let's we'll 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 check in again after the first couple of cross races of the season, and we'll uh, we'll see how the season is going. Yeah, we'll we'll see if uh, in in fact they have magically become mountain bike races. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Mattia, where can people hear more from you if they would like to? Holler at me on Twitter. I'm at underscore Mattio, which is spelled M-A-T-T-I-O, <laughs> in which, to my dear listeners, is pronounced Mattio and not Matteo or Matteo. <laughs> it's I don't I don't correct people because I'm entertained, but I'm just it gonna get out get out in front of this one. Has this been a problem? You know, every now and then people know me on the internet and they get confused about what my name is. Hmm. All right. Uh, as for me, as for I'm you. on Twitter as well, at Grolby, G-R-O-L-B-Y. Uh, you can get in touch with us. That is the corporate corporate presence that is... Uh, <laughs> corporate headquarters. <laughs> well, corporate not in the company sense, but in the, like, combined the body. Yeah. body sense of the show. <laughs> The somatic sense uh, at an email address, which is honestbikeprogram at gmail.com if you want to tell us how stupid and wrong we are about bicycle technology. Or how uh, right we are. Or how right Sometimes we are. we're we right. We, well. Yeah, we've gotten some really nice emails from some people and they've been really fun. And who knows, you might just find yourself having your email read live on the internet, pre-recorded. And wouldn't that, wouldn't that just make your whole year... You could tell your Nana about it. True. All right. With that, (laughs) thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week. Yes, indeedy. Good night, everyone.